This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Right, let's this morning go to the Word of God, please. Uh, to Luke chapter 16, 16th chapter of Luke. I want this morning to talk to you about the, the parable of Jesus regarding the rich man and Lazarus. Now, there are those who say that this parable actually was an actual event, a true life event that Jesus then turned into a parable to teach. And the reason why they say that is because uh, he talks about the rich man as a certain man and Lazarus as a certain beggar, a certain poor man. And also it's the only parable that Jesus taught where somebody's name was mentioned. But be that as it may, whether it was a true life event or whether it was actually just a parable, The importance of this parable cannot be underestimated. Old J.C. Ryle, who was the former Bishop of Liverpool many, many years ago, a great evangelical, he said, it is the only passage of Scripture which describes the feelings of the unconverted after death. Now, it may seem an unusual subject uh, to preach on a Sunday morning, which is obviously traditionally uh, a believer's meeting. But none of us can say here today that every family member, that every family relative, that every friend or acquaintance, past and present, are already saved. And therefore, it does not apply to them or to us. It certainly does. But speaking about hell uh, is not so fashionable these days. Uh, People say that it's not user-friendly, that it's scary, intimidating, negative, that is off-putting. But actually, Jesus himself taught more about hell than anybody else. Anything that we know about hell came from the lips of Jesus. And it is true that Jesus' ministry on earth was uh, filled with wonderful acts of compassion and grace and mercy, that his words, for the most part, were gracious Uh, and loving and kind. But it's also true that he spoke of judgment to come and the danger of being eternally lost, and particularly the reality of hell itself. And so Jesus did not sugarcoat the pill. When necessary, he spoke very bluntly and very clearly. And this is one of those moments when plain speaking was required. And I think as we listen to the words of Jesus in this parable, we'll have a greater appreciation of the terrifying, frightening consequences of going to a lost eternity. And particularly for our families, our friends who are unconverted, to see the great danger that they are facing right now if they're lost and go to this place called hell. Now, most unsaved people do not want preachers to preach about hell. It offends them. They reckon, well, if there is such a place, well, I think that I'm decent enough not ever to go there. Surely it's only for the most wicked, the most evil people. And by that yardstick, well, at least I think I'll not end up in hell. But is that the case? So we're going to look at this short parable and uh, we'll comment as we go on and try to see what Jesus was teaching here. In verse 19 of Luke 16, it begins, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, 
desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Uh, there could not be two more contrasting images than this rich man and this poor man. And Jesus deliberately chose this to bring the reality of hell to us. A certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple was the garments of princes. Purple was a very, very expensive material. You remember in Acts 16, the very first convert in Philippi that Paul led to Christ was a woman called Lydia, a seller of purple. And she had a business, and she had servants, and a household. She was very well off. And so purple was something that royalty liked to wear. And fine linen, whenever the Bible says fine linen, it means really, really fine. I remember years ago, I don't know if it's still there, but in the Lisburn Linen Museum in Market Square in Lisburn, whenever it opened, I paid a little visit, and there was some linen from Egypt, from the era of, of Tutankhamun. And it was, it was like gossamer. It was so fine. I'd never seen linen as fine as that. And that's what this is speaking about. So, so this was exquisite. So this man was super rich, super rich. He dressed exquisitely. The most expensive of clothes that money could buy were his. So as far as that city was concerned, this was a man of, of note, a man who was extremely well healed, and he fared sumptuously every day. So that tells us that his table was laden with the, the finest uh, of fruits, with the sweetest of wines, uh, with the freshest of bread and meats. And not only that, it was like that every day. And no doubt he would hold many parties uh, and, and get-togethers for all of his friends in high places. I'm sure the dignitaries of the city would come to his house uh, and, and the leading politicians and religious hierarchy of the day. And so here is a man who is extremely wealthy, uh, to say the least. But then contrast that with the poor man Lazarus who lay at his gate every day. And this man was very poor. And he was a, a man who, for whatever reason, and we don't know, uh, had got the rough end of the stick. And he would be brought to that rich man's gate every day, as people were wont to do, in the hope, in the hope that maybe he would just get a crust that would fall from the rich man's table. If only the rich man would just allow him something, a little piece of bread at least from the rich man's table, then he would be happy if he could get that at least. Uh, it tells us that he was full of sores, ulcerating sores. And so the man was in pain as well as being poor. Uh, and the, the very dogs of the street would come and, and lick his sores to try to give the man some relief. And he was, I mean, these, these were wild dogs. These were not somebody's pet next door. These were wild dogs. And, and he probably didn't even have the strength to, to push them away. And so Jesus gives these, this contrast between these uh, two men. Uh, and it was, uh, you have to know, first of all, because we're going to talk about heaven and hell, you have to know, first of all, that the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich, and Lazarus didn't go to heaven because he was poor. This has nothing to do with people's works. Although works are something that God expects people to do, good works and kind works, and to be generous. But as we'll see as we go on, this rich man was not a believing man. He was not a believing man. Uh, and we'll see that more and more as we read in the story. But the poor man, even though he was dreadfully poor, was a believing man. He was a son of Abraham in the spiritual sense because that's what Abraham calls him in the parable a little bit later. 
And so here we have this contrast between these two. And Jesus uses this to great effect. Then it says, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Whenever it talks about the rich man, it says he was buried. We'll come to that in a moment. But it doesn't say the poor man was buried because he wasn't buried. The poor man, like many others, beggars on the streets or even criminals, nobody would bury them. They would be burned in the, the local rubbish dump, a place called Gehenna in the Valley of Gehenna. Uh, this, this was a place that many, many years prior to this when the Jews were uh, worshipping other gods and they worshipped the god Molech and they, they sacrificed their children to this god. Uh, they burned them alive to this god. That's how backslidden they were at one particular time. But not in this case. But over the years then, when that all had finished and stopped, then that very same place of burning became the local town dump, as it were, where people would take their, all their, their, their rubbish and their trash, and they would burn it there. And it would burn night and day. It would never stop. And so street cleaners would come along, and if there's a dead body of a beggar, they would just take it, just throw it into the dump where it would burn. Uh, and that's how pitiful... Uh, life was in those days, particularly if you're very, very poor. Now, of course, the book of Leviticus, God made provision for the poor. Uh, but in practice, often it was ignored and not carried out. And so Lazarus died. And then there's that lovely phrase uh, where it says that the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. Uh, Abraham's bosom was paradise. And even though he was a dirty old beggar, and even though he was a poor old man, but he was a believing man. He was a true spiritual son of Abraham. And even though hundreds of people would walk past him and not even give him the time of day, and even though the rich man even though the rich man wouldn't even bother to notice this man at his gate. Even the dogs in the street had more compassion on him than the rich man. But yet in his death, heaven knew about him. And God sent his angels to give him a heavenly escort into heaven. In the paradise as it was, it's called here, Abraham's bosom. It's a metaphor for that. Now, I strongly believe that whenever the believer today dies, he doesn't go to Abraham's bosom. It's absent from the body present with the Lord. But I strongly believe that the angels of God give a heavenly escort into the presence of God. And so, when the day comes for us to die, you can be sure that God will escort us by his angels into his very presence. As a pastor, I have, I have been at the bedside of many a person who has breathed their last breath. And as a believer, when they breathed their last breath, there was a sense of peace and calmness in that room. And I've often stood there, even with my own father, I've often stood there and thought at this moment, the angels of God are winging them away into the glory. And so Lazarus was carried by angels into the Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. I bet he was. And I'm sure it was the most expensive funeral that he could manage. I'm sure that his body was laid out with all of the beautiful fragrant oils and ointments as he did in those days if you were wealthy. And I'm sure his, his tomb was carved out of the rock. It would be a whited sepulcher. And I'm sure his funeral was very, very big. I'd imagine there'd be lots of pallbearers. Uh, and I would imagine there'd be a long procession 
and the great and the good would be there. And when he'd be laid into the white sepulchre, a great stone would be placed upon it. And there'd be many eulogies of how wonderful he was and how important he was and what influence he had in the city and all those eulogies that happened to the great and the good. The rich man also died and was buried, but, listen, and being in torments in Hades. Hades is the Greek word for hell. And I have to explain just momentarily at this moment that then, not now, but then, there were two compartments of Hades. The place of torment, of unceasing agonies, and Abraham's bosom, paradise, the place of great peace and calmness and joy. But in between there is this great gulf fixed. We'll see that in a moment. The title of this message is The Impassable Gulf. And those who, in the Old Testament, who died believing, they would go to Abraham's bosom, to the, the good compartment. But those who were unbelieving, they would go to the place of torment where the rich man is. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, and between that and rising again in the resurrection, Ephesians 4 says he led captivity captive. He went down into that place, to that good compartment where the Old Testament saints were, and he led that captivity captive, took them back to be with the Father in heaven. So when you die as a believer today, you'll not be going to that compartment at Abraham's bosom. It'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But those who die unconverted, they will go to that place of torment. Even today, they will go to that place of torment. It says that's a, a holding prison, as it were, until the great white throne of judgment in Revelation is spoken of. Well, they will stand before that to see why they are eternally lost and know it. And then death, Hades, death and hell, are then cast into the lake of fire, which burns forever and forever. And so bad as this is, it's going to get worse. And so being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. Hades means the place of the departed dead, by the way. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. the place where he felt he should have been. Never in a million years did he think he would be in a place of torment and that old beggar would be in the place of joy and blessing. He thought for sure, if I died, me, with my importance, with my status, with my influence, surely I would go to Abraham's bosom. Surely that's the place where I would go. But what a shock he got when he opened his eyes and he saw Lazarus in that place and him in the place of burning and fire and torment. And many a shock people are going to get. They think they're going to heaven, they're going to end up in hell. What a shock that's going to be. What a terrifying, awful moment when they realize too late that they didn't get to the place they thought they were going. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He was fully conscious even though his body had been buried, but yet in this state, in this place, 
every sense was alive. Every nerve had feeling. He could hear. He could see. He could speak. And they saw Lazarus happy, contented, peaceful, joyful, and he's in torments. The word torments is very, very strong. <laughs> Jesus in Matthew 8 talked about hell and he talked about a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. where someone is so frightened that they're gnashing their teeth in fear. Some people say, well, this is, only, this is metaphorical. It's, it's, it's allegorical. It's not literal. It's literal. And Jesus meant it to be as strong as he said it. Notice here. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Never thought in his lifetime that he'd ever have to ask for mercy. Me ask for mercy? What do I need mercy for? I've got everything I need. I'm a self-made man. I have everything this world can offer. What would I need mercy for? But he's crying for it now. He's crying for it now. Hmm. And what he's found out is that everything he had in this life is not worth anything in comparison to what he needs right now. And everything Lazarus went through in life, all the pain, all the suffering, all the isolation, everything peels into insignificance with the joy and the peace and the happiness that he's now experiencing. And he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. That dirty old hand of Lazarus that the dogs licked, even that finger with just one tiny drop of water, if I could just get that. That's what he's reduced to. All of this finery, all of this sumptuous eating every day, none of it means anything. Just a little drop of water, even from a dirty hand. Even if I could get that. the very hand that he wasn't willing to put a crust into. From the very man that he totally ignored all those years at his gate. This shows you the heart of this man. He had no compassion. He had no love for anybody, only himself. He had ample opportunity many, many times to be a blessing to that dear man Lazarus, but he didn't care. He was nothing to him. But now, now he wants Lazarus to serve him. Can you imagine the arrogance of this man? Father Abraham, get Lazarus to come and serve me, even just a little drop of water on his finger. Hmm. 
His heart really hadn't changed, had it? For I am tormented in this flame. Every sense in his body was tormented. The thoughts of his mind were tormenting him. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus received evil things, but now he has comforted, and you are tormented. Son, remember all those opportunities that you had to do good, to be a blessing with God's bounty. But you never were. You never had a heart for the poor and the needy and the troubled and the concerned. You got everything you wanted. You had it all and more. But what good is it now? Jesus said, what good is it if a man gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what could a man give in exchange for his soul? This man is finding out the reality of such a thing right now. Abraham said, son, remember... This man is going to be tortured not only with the flame, but with the memory. He's going to remember everything. And the unconverted, the unsaved, the Christ rejecter, when they go to hell, they will remember every opportunity they ever had in this life to come to Christ. They'll remember every witness that was given to them every testimony they ever heard, every tract that they got on the street that sometimes they screwed up in a ball and just threw it at the feet of the giver. They'll remember every time. They'll remember the times their mother and their father prayed for them. They'll remember the times their wives and their husband begged them to come to the house of God and they didn't go. They'll remember every detail like it happened yesterday and it will torment them. Son, remember memory. It's amazing how memories can come back, isn't it? Things that you had long since hadn't thought about for 20 years, suddenly something triggers a memory and it's as clear as if it happened just right now. I know there's a lot of people and you know, when they're grieving, they've lost a loved one or a partner and they're grieving. They've told me many, many times, that just a little thing can trigger the memories. And suddenly it all comes back as if it just was yesterday. It might have been 10 years ago. And so in hell, memory will be vivid and real. Won't be able to be blocked out. And then Abraham said, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. An impossible gulf fixed. Notice the word fixed. Eternally fixed. When a person dies, they're either going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell and it's fixed. It cannot be changed. It will never be changed. There's a teaching, and, it, it, and through the years it keeps coming up, and it's prevalent in some quarters today, called universalism or ultimate reconciliation. That someday everybody, everybody will get to heaven. Even the devil himself will be reconciled to God because of a scripture, that one scripture that Paul took, talked about that's taken totally out of context. And this puts pay to that. It's fixed. It cannot be changed. 
I think it was Spurgeon said, a man would give a thousand worlds if he could change it, but he can't. It's fixed. And it's a great gulf. It's a chasm. It's uncrossable. It's impassable. Listen to what he said. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Well, you can see why those from there will want to pass to us. That's obvious, but they cannot. But why would anybody want from here to pass to there? Maybe if they saw the suffering and the torment. I, I hope God I hope God hides your eyes from that. You remember Noah when he went into the ark and his family ate and all? What happened? God shut the door. Not Noah. God shut the door. Maybe because, maybe because when the flood came and the cries of people would go up that were drowning in the flood and maybe people banging on the door trying to get in. Maybe in his humanity, Noah, maybe would attempt to open the door. But God shut the door. It was fixed. It was too late. There's no turning back. And there comes a point where there's a line drawn in the sand and there's no turning back. And Jesus is showing it very clearly in this parable. A great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot or can those from there pass to us. And I think that the rich man instinctively knew that, that he wasn't going to be able to go there. Nothing from hell can go to heaven, and nothing from heaven can go to hell. It's fixed. There's a great gulf, and no one can cross it. And I think he understood that, because that's why he wanted Lazarus to come to him, because he knew he could never go there. But he hoped that maybe Lazarus could go to him but that's not possible. The only chance to get saved is in this life. The Son of Man, Jesus said, has power on earth to forgive sins. He won't forgive them in heaven because it's fixed. It's too late. For 2,000 years, we've been waiting on the second coming of Christ. And Peter says, people that scoff and say, well, it's always been like that since the beginning. Laugh it off. But the reason why he's delaying is because of his mercy. To give more people an opportunity to repent and come to him. Because he knows there's going to come a day when it will be too late. And it cannot be changed. There is an impossible gulf that no man can cross. What a terrifying prospect for the unconverted to realize that for all eternity they're in a place of torment and they never can be released. Terrifying prospect. See, that's why some people say, well, God's too good to let that happen. This is why Jesus is telling this story. To show you that it will happen because God's a God of justice as well as a good God. And if we refuse the death of Christ on the cross, and if we say we don't need that, that we're good enough, others may need that, but I don't need that, I'm good enough, someday God will have to deal with that. And he will. The Christ who went on the cross to save us will be the Christ who will come back to judge this world. Same Christ. Verse 27, Then he said, I beg you therefore, 
This man had never begged in his life. He had never pleaded with anybody. He never needed to. What would he need to plead with anybody for in his life? But he's pleading now. I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Nobody in hell wants anybody to join them there. Did you hear me? Nobody in hell wants anybody to join them in that place, especially their family. Especially their family. Send them to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may testify to them. He knew his five brothers was as bad as he was. They had no interest. They were probably rich too. They had no interest in the things of God. They had no interest in anybody's testimony. <laughs> testimony? People who would cross the street, the other side of the street, when they see an open air or somebody handing out tracks, they'll, they'll cross the other side of the street. I have no time for that stuff. Well, they'll have time for it. They'll have all eternity for it, but it'll be too late one day. Send them to my brothers. I do not want them to come to this place of torment. I don't want any of my family or my relatives to go to this place of torment. And I'm sure you don't want either. But here's the sad reality. This lost man in hell was more concerned about his family than most Christians are living today. Did you hear me? This lost man in hell is more concerned about his family going there than most Christians are today about their family, where they're going to go. This man's desperate. He's pleading. He's begging. How desperate are we to see our loved ones saved? Do we plead with God? Do we hold them before the throne of grace? Do we pray for them? Do we witness to them? Do we share God with them? Because one day, if they do not get saved, this is their lot. It's the consequences. And then it's too late. It cannot be changed. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament, that's what he's saying. They've got the word of God, let them read that. Let them hear what the prophets and Moses says in his law. These men had no time for God's law in their life. Neither the rich man or his family. No time for the law or the prophets. There's lots of people today. Maybe some of them are our family members and they have no time. They think it's a fairy tale. Or they hear somebody like me preaching this and say, oh, you're just trying to scare the life out of us. I'm trying to scare the life of God into you. No time for the Word of God. No time for the house of God. No time for your testimony. No time for your wee tracks and your wee talks. Yeah. No time for that stuff. That's those good living people. Those Bible thumpers. No time for that. Well, here's a man It's time for it now and he's bagging Abraham. Abraham says, have the word of God, got the prophets, let them to listen to that. And then, <laughs> isn't the arrogance of this man? Listen to this. 
And he said, no, Father Abraham. <laughs> Can you believe that? Can you believe that he is where he is and he knows where he is, where he is, and yet that nature of arrogance and pride and no better than everybody else is still there? No, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Really? Really? Because maybe all along in his life, maybe that's what he thought. I don't believe this stuff. But hey, if I met somebody who's come from the dead, maybe I'd believe that. Really? <coughs> Especially if it was Lazarus that they saw every day lying at his gate. Would they believe that? Abraham didn't think so. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Hmm. Now. Jesus is standing outside the tomb of Lazarus, the other Lazarus, the brother of... Mary and Martha tells him to roll away the stone, shouts, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out of that grave. Been in there four days. By this time he stinketh, decomposition set in. He comes out of that grave. What an astounding miracle. <laughs> and some believed, but the ones that believed to believe God's word, the ones who consented together to put Lazarus to death also. Happened to be the religious crowd who should have believed God's word, but who didn't, who should have been living it, what weren't. And they wanted to do away with the very evidence that should have convinced them if one rises from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, and to this day the Jews don't believe him. Now Abraham says, they've got the word. And that's why we're to preach the word, and that's why we're to testify to the word. Because everything they need to save them is in the word. Neither will they persuade it, though one rose from the dead. I'm sharing this this morning to bring to us the reality of what lies ahead for unconverted loved ones. Never mind our neighbors, never mind people that we meet in the workplace. I'm talking about our loved ones. This man cried out from hell itself to try to avoid his loved ones going there. Can we not cry to God for mercy for loved ones? Can we be really, truly serious? Maybe we need to fast a little bit to show God how... You know, that's what fasting is about, to show God how serious we are. Because one, that's one of the primal urges all of us got. We need to eat. We want to eat. And sometimes if you lay that aside and say, God, this is more important to me than my food... Maybe he'll take us seriously. Maybe he'll say they really mean it this time. They are serious. And who knows, somebody could come across their path or maybe you can share and maybe for the first time their ears would be open to what you have to say. Every one of us want our loved ones to go to that place called heaven. I told you, and we'll finish with this, I told you at the beginning that Hades, where the rich man was, was not the end. Here's the end, and it's worse. In Revelation 20, Verse 11, when I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face earth and heaven fled away, 
and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So unless you think this is all about works, you've got to read to the end. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If we're not in the book of life, we're eternally lost and we're heading for the lake of fire. The other books were opened to say what? To judge our life in the light of eternity. To let every man know this is justice. This is what you deserved. God is a just God. He doesn't do anything unjustly. He's got a reason for everything. And notice what he said. This is the second death. When a person dies, their soul, their spirit leaves their body. The first death. The second death is the soul, the spirit, and the body are separated from God forever. For all eternity. In that place of torment and fire. This is the second death. So here we are. Not a sermon you normally preach on a Sunday morning, I grant you. But if it just jogs us to pray a little bit more fervently for our loved ones and to plead with God, and to say, God, I don't want my loved ones to go to that place. And I know they've got to choose, but God, I want you to give them every chance. I want you to have mercy and plead for them. Many years ago, when I was not saved, my wife was, my family were, they were praying for me, and my eldest sister said she was in England at the time. She was a pastor's wife, and she says, in the middle of the night, a great burden come upon me to pray for you, David, and for my father. And I got out of bed, and I kneeled beside my bed, and my husband, who was the pastor, said, what are you doing, Sandra? She says, I'm praying for my brother and my father. There's a great burden on me. I says, that's good. And he pulled the blankets over and went to sleep. Typical pastor. <laughs> <laughs> She says, I did not get up with my knees until that burden lifted. And she says, the next morning I said to my husband, I will never have to pray that prayer again. The burden's lifted. God's going to save him. And sometime shortly after that, I came to Christ. And sometime later, my father came to Christ. I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. I've told you before the privilege of leading two of my uncles to the Lord and a cousin when they were dying. An impossible gulf. Nobody in hell can go to heaven. Nobody in heaven can go to hell. But it's on earth that we've got to make that choice. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Why? Because it's the only guarantee we've got today. 
can't guarantee tomorrow. Today. Let's pray. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if today that you are not saved, you're a lovely person, you go to church, you sing the hymns, you may even pray, but you've never given your life completely to Jesus. You're not born again from above, as the Bible says, as Jesus said. And I want you to join me in this prayer. I mean it from your heart. Ask Christ to save you today. Repent of your sins. Turn away from them and turn to Christ. That's what repentance is. So if you need to do that today, today is the day of salvation. Pray this with me in your heart. Dear God, I realize today that I am lost. I realize today I'm not saved and I need your salvation. I realize that Christ Jesus went to that cross to give his life for me. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, the one who died for me, save my eternal soul. I give my life to you. Save me today. Make me fit for your heaven. Cause me not to go to that eternal place of punishment, but to go to the Father in heaven. So I give you my life unconditionally. Save me. Help me to live for you every day from this moment forward. For I ask this in the name of Jesus. Son of God, the Savior of the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk